What? The Power of Thinking Twice For my fellow members of Mensa by Andre Del Erba Today, tomorrow, the day after, and then what? We gather, we heap up, we strive for perfection. For what? What happens if we receive everything, then what? What comes next? And does it truly make a difference? Can life be lived without the mortal end in mind, knocked to and fro without thought until we die? This life being a matter of chance, some big random event that took place in a period of time through disorganized chaos, or was it designed with the purpose of weeding out the rebellious hearts? I'm not a debater, nor an intellectual, nor a scientist, nor a philosopher, nor religious. I am just one who thinks twice, a member of Mensa, who spent and still spends much time in the sciences. I've recently been asked to prove God logically, and my response is, that's easy. Now, if I had been asked to prove God didn't exist logically, that would be difficult because I would be forced to ignore hard facts and focus on soft theories, like the theory of evolution or the theory of self-reliance. I once believed in these theories wholeheartedly, even professed them as truth until I started questioning them. As I grew in my understanding and research, I realized that these theories are weak and that it takes far more faith and convincing to believe them than believing that life was purposely designed and created. I am very disappointed in the way the educational system has taught on the subject of evolution, how unsupported facts and biased data were taught to me as facts. Now, they either didn't know about the zero foundation on which the theory of evolution stands and were just a product of the education system like me, or they had a hidden agenda which wasn't about science but about removing God. People holding to this theory come out with statements like God versus science, where it should have been science versus science. The theory of evolution seemed like it initially started off as a scientific theory, but when discoveries were made in the 60s through the 90s, contrary to the theory, they weren't publicized and didn't make it into the education system. And when some of this data was shared by scientists, they were labeled as religious fundamentalists and ridiculed. Since the mass had already been brainwashed and adopted the theory of evolution as the answer to life, or the lack thereof, people didn't challenge science or the data that led to the theory. If science is about facts, why hide the evidence? I'll touch on this shortly. I remember one afternoon when I was young, less than ten years old, my parents' friends came over for a barbecue. I was bored with adult company, so I decided to play with the new sand my father had bought for the recently laid grass. After playing with the sand, I went inside to see if the food was ready. To my amazement, everyone was in the same position as when I left, except my father, who was turning the meat. On the way back to the pile of sand, I stopped, turned around at the top of the driveway, and asked myself, Do people move only when I'm in their presence, or do they stop moving when I'm not there? Are they just puppets for me? Why am I here? And why am I me? Do I belong to myself? Who made me? I know I didn't make myself. Without me, will this sand have any meaning or significance? It was like I had been programmed with this quest, a natural hunger that came from my innermost being. It was like I was created to know the answer, not kill the desire. It was as if someone was calling me to know. Later, I realized that all have had similar questions at some point in their life, as if we were programmed to find it. Some ended at the theory of evolution, theory of self-reliance, idols that they make, an impersonal force, and others ended at an intelligent, personal creator. Who is correct? Or maybe that isn't the right question. The question should be, what is the answer, irrespective of who we believe is correct? Now, the older I became, the wiser I thought myself to be. Science and those who taught science started playing a larger role in my life. I became a God skeptic. If someone gave me one reason why God existed, I could give them one thousand reasons why he didn't. Like most people today, it is all a facade based on false presumptions. My standard answer was founded on the theory of evolution, which I believed to be true, taught to be true and I could put people in a scientific headspin with masses of data and assumptions. 
I portrayed having all the answers with science, but deep down I had more questions than answers, which made me feel hypocritical and empty at times. As I went deeper into the theory of evolution, I started asking myself, why do I believe this garbage when the data and the fact that we are interpreting the data points to a designer-creator? This theory of evolution literally had no foundation, and yet I had built a tower on it, which would not and could not sustain me because it couldn't sustain itself. Even if I take garbage and wrap it in a scientific wrapper with lights, bells, and whistles, it is still garbage. So why was there a tendency to sway from an intelligent personal designer behind creation? Was it because I wanted to be accountable to myself? Maybe. Was it that I considered myself intelligent, and therefore, if I believed there was a designer, creator, I wouldn't be intelligent and would be ridiculed and labeled as a religious fundamentalist? Through the next few pages, I will take you on my journey of peeling back the onion to the obvious truth. So the stench of the obvious heart of truth may come to the surface. It isn't rocket science, just simple reasoning. It's the power of thinking beyond what we have been taught or influenced, the power of thinking twice about life. It's important to question our beliefs to all limits and assess if they are sustainable or if we can sustain ourselves. If not, why do we rest on this? Why is this important? Our words and actions come from our thoughts, and every thought is governed by our set of beliefs, and every belief we have is established by an authority we choose. This is the foundation of our decisions. The authority can either be a legitimate authority or not, but we end up choosing the authority and live by the consequences or benefits of the choices we make based on that authority. Who is your authority? God? Self? Or another? At the end of peeling back the onion on life, I came to realize that just like gravity, whether I choose to believe that gravity exists or not, it has no effect on the fact that it exists, and I reap the consequences every time I act contrary. Whether I know about it or not, it makes no difference. Similarly with God, the Creator, whether I believe God exists or not, it doesn't change the fact that He is, and that He will hold me accountable for the choices I make. And every time I act contrary, I reap the consequences, which may not be instant, but are eventually reaped. To quote Romans chapter 1 verse 20 to 22 in the New King James Version of the Bible, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they know God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. A. Lucky Chaos versus Designer-Creator Is there such a thing as random or chaos? Is random like throwing dice and chaos like breaking glass? Both are governed by forces that are initiated by someone, the initiator. Also, someone had to create what force is and how it operates in the first place, a designer, creator. If this isn't established, then there is no environment through which an initiator can initiate. As in the example of the dice, the initiator throws a dice within an environment which is designed. By understanding the laws that were designed and established in that environment, we can control the dice therein. This will result in us being able to determine where, how, and when the dice will land every time. Therefore, it's no longer random. We know. The number on the dice can be calculated by controlling the starting position, frictional forces of the surface and the dice, the speed and angle of release, travel and rotation in the air and ground, gravity and weight, the temperature and wind, shape of the dice, etc. So what are we saying then? There is no such thing as random, except for a lack of understanding on our part. Lack of understanding of the environment that the designer created, and how the initiator, sometimes the designer, the environment itself, or someone else, uses that environment. 1. What about the theory of evolution? It takes far more faith to believe this theory than to believe it was created by the creator. 
I'm not just saying this because of a religious persuasion, but based on hard science. The idea that people developed from bacteria cell billions of years ago, from sludge to bacteria to fish to an ape to a human, may sound logical to some, but it sounds crazy to others, literally moving from the goo through the zoo to you. To those that say it's logical, let's play it out. What would happen if I stood up on the street corner and proclaimed that the sludge under my shoe would develop over millions of years into a person like you? Would you believe me or laugh at me? What would happen if I showed my hypothesis via a drawing of the development over time? Would that change anything? What would happen if I demonstrated that humans can evolve based on the environment, for example, in colder climates getting thicker and more hair? Would that support my initial theory, or would that be easily explained away? What would happen if I had some title behind my name that people said made me smarter than you? If I made it more complex by adding a scientific maze of assumptions, would you surrender and default to believing me because it's too complex to cut through yourself? That's the theory of evolution by Darwin, the origin of species. It's based on the theory of natural selection driving progressive unintelligent change and development from a single cell to all the species we have today with no intelligent intervention. Instead of the similarity of physical features pointing to a common designer, Darwin implied that it was a result of a common starting point. He had very little to say on how the cell started. He never addressed how life started in the cell or how living matter could come from non-living matter, elements and molecules. He never addressed how the environment was established in which the change happened. His primary focus was on the assumption of evolving, that is, comparing species that evolve within species to one species evolving into completely different species. What about punctuated equilibrium? Punctuated equilibrium is a theory in evolution that states that most sexually reproducing organisms, genetic diversity of offspring, will show little to no change during history. Punctuated equilibrium is commonly contrasted against the theory of phyletic gradualism, which hypothesizes that most evolution occurs uniformly and gradually over time. Both are theories based on the hypothesis that one changes instantly and the other over time. Again, no proof for change of one species into another. If this was the case, based on these hypotheses, we would have many half-ape, half-humans today. Consider genetic algorithm, the progression from a specific state, a given state, to a better state. The progression is based on looking at the individual members, called candidate solutions, evaluating their fitness and sustainability in that environment, which excludes millions of factors, and then taking some members, mutating them, not saying what makes them change, but actually changing their coding to produce a better outcome, and then hypothesizing what the end of the generation will look like. This becomes the start of the next generation and a so-called fact, and so on until the population arrives at the better solution, fabricating the outcome on assumptions. Hard science is fact-based and can be proven, and soft science is theory and assumptions, like evolution. There is no foundation, no natural progression of one species to the next. Species become extinct, but do not evolve to another species. No evidence of evolution in transition. No evidence of the sustainability of evolution. It has no starting point and no end point. Basically, it's a theory of unintelligent chaos, which is not and cannot be sustained by hard science. The theory is only solid if it has a solid foundation. Adversely, a weak foundation results in a weak theory. That is, the foundation of evolution is less than weak, from the proposed development of the cell to the mutation through natural selection. Even in mathematics, if we don't have either a solid starting point or an endpoint as a reference, we can pretty much make up what we want, and it doesn't prove anything. In the case of the theory of evolution, there is neither a starting nor an endpoint. Hard science has disproved the theory of evolution more than 30 years ago, yet it is still being taught in schools as a scientific fact. Why? 
because the theory of evolution has become the religion of the 20th century to give people like me an excuse to sidestep what hard science points to, the creator, the designer. Questioning the theory of evolution from a scientific basis undoubtedly causes scientists to be labeled as religious fundamentalists. This may be a scare tactic or a method of diversion to sustain the theory and avoid scrutiny. Why? Because the theory of evolution uses the excuse religious fundamentalist to hide the fact that they themselves are religious fundamentalists pushing an incredible high faith, supposedly under the banner of science. Some say it isn't a religion, but it is. Religion is seeking after God, and their God, or God's, is self. It reminds me of the Nazis and communist brainwashing in the education system. There is no difference. Their foundation was exactly the same as educators of theory of evolution, to prove there is no designer. Just like communism, the theory of evolution too will collapse as people take life and hard science seriously. B. Evidence of the designer through hard science. Now let's talk about the designer, creator, God. Is there any hard proof there is a designer, a creator of all? The answer is life, the ability to reason, to give meaning, love, basically who we are. Life transcends beyond atoms, molecules, electrons, or elements. These express life, but don't create it. For we didn't decide to be born, or where to be born, nor from whom to be born. Nor did we decide to love. Nor did we develop or decide what is truly good and evil. Nor did we decide what laws govern life and nature. Nor did we create the earth, life on it, and the principles by which it operates. Nor do we have the ability to live forever or raise ourselves from the dead. Nor did we create what is after death and the rules to get there. So what is it that we truly own? Just one thing. Choice. A choice that has been given to us, embedded in us to reason, in order to produce love. Life gives us the ability to reason beyond what we see, governing life based on good and evil. We do this through the foundation we all live by, love. Again, no atoms, electrons, molecules, or element creates this. Life in itself is the very proof that a personal God created us and everything around us. Now let's talk about life. Hard and factual science always opposes chaos, evolution, and points to the creator-designer. 1. Cambrian Age, Creation of Life supposedly 543 to 490 million years. This is an age explained in archaeology at the very beginning where life forms and species started, the explosion of life. There isn't an age of living organisms fossils before this age. The Precambrian age, people have believed there were non-complex life forms like bacteria during this age in order to support the theory of evolution, but they have no proof. Based on archaeological findings, all species existed at once, and they didn't develop over millions and millions of years with slow progression, as the theory of evolution states. However, change within species is possible, but not from one species to another. The Cambrian Age does not include human beings existing during this time, but at the same time, it does not negate that it could, or the possibility of later introduction. Some evolutionists have argued that fossil preservation was not possible, owing to the small and soft bodies of life forms. People have believed this argument for years. However, over the last 20 years, archaeologists in China have found sponge embryos dating as far back as the Cambrian age, soft and microscopic. If they can find a sponge that doesn't have bones, surely they can find progression of life forms. None have been found to date. None to support the theory of evolution. Soft science, with the assumption based on various dating methods, says there were ice ages or an ice age. An ice age is a general term used for glaciers covering the Earth. The ice age was split into four major time periods, apparently 800 to 600 million years ago, 460 to 430 million years ago, 
350 to 250 million years ago, and the last one was 4 million years ago, with the Earth's age projecting to around 4,500 million years ago. So what about the accuracy of dating methods used to predict the age of something? If using dating with other historical facts, then it's pretty accurate. But pure dating is not accurate, not even 80-20. The depletion of the dating element takes place over thousands of years. Scientists have assumed how long it depletes based on a particular environment. If the environment changes, then the depletion rate changes. Also, it is not linear and not exponential. No one can time the actual length of the depletion from beginning to end, so they measure it over a fraction of time and then extrapolate it over its life. For example, apparently the half-life of carbon is 5,700 years and reliable for dating up to 60,000 years. This cannot be measured in full, only a fraction of it. At best, 0.1% of the time frame, it's then extrapolated. This ignores environmental factors. It's like taking your pulse over one second and then saying, your average pulse for your entire life will be, and you will live for. What happens if your fitness changes, or your environment changes, or your body changes? Your pulse will change accordingly. One second is far too short to make an accurate assessment for a life assumption. The same inaccuracy applies to dating. Before negating what the Bible says about the origin of life, let's take another look. God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. The scripture doesn't say when exactly the heavens and the earth were created. It could be 7,000 to billions of years ago. However, it does talk about a pre-Adamic world, a world that existed before Adam and Eve, that is, before the first humans. There were intelligent beings, non-human, who had choice and free will to choose God. They were under the rule of an angelic being called Lucifer. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 12 through 16, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 4 through 6, verse 9 through 12. There was one world order. This was probably the time when dinosaurs like the T-Rex roamed the earth. Lucifer elevated himself as God and led those beings astray to worship him, just like many do today. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 to 15, Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 12 through 19, Luke chapter 10 verse 18. As a result, God judged him and them. He stripped Lucifer of the authority and cast him down to the earth. Luke chapter 10 verse 18. God removed his light from the earth and flooded it with water. This resulted in the earth being in a destructive state, like a ball of ice. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 23 to 26, Job chapter 9 verse 5 through 9, chapter 26 verse 5 through 13, chapter 38 verse 28 to 33. God reconstructed the earth and then created Adam and Eve, the first humans, all within six literal days, not millions of years. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 through 28. This was about 6,000 years ago. At this time, the earth was at most part one unit. Then God judged the world again and flooded it, saving Noah and his family, three sons and their wives. Then, after the flood, the earth started splitting apart. 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 19. God spoke about these in His Word before anyone knew that the earth was one and had been split apart. It didn't take millions of years as soft science claims. Also, these theories are assumptions based on how the earth is drifting apart today. Add a few big earthquakes and the entire calculation drastically speeds up. What about the different ethnic groups? Hard science tells us that we adapt to our environment not that we evolve into another species to meet that environment. The Bible talks about the color of skin changing based on the environment. For example, Job was from the region of Arabia, and his skin became black based on the environment and the situation he was in. Job chapter 30, verse 30. Adapting to one's environment, within the parameters of the species, is part of the design God created. For example, if your ancestors and you spent most of your time in the water, you will not develop gills or turn into a fish. I guarantee you this. 
However, your skin will change to help accommodate the impact of the water, yet you will still be a human. 2. Humans versus Animals Aren't humans the same as animals? I have to say that some animals behave better than some humans, yet they both have the same creator. But irrespective, they are different at the very core of their life. That is, choice and free will versus instinct. Humans have been given the intellectual ability to choose to act contrary to creation and the creator. No animal comes close to possessing the reasoning ability God gave humans. An animal will not change its authority on which it bases its decisions unless its environment changes. However, a human has the ability to change their beliefs irrespective of the environment. So the fundamental difference is that humans can choose to serve God or not. This is the choice that God has given them. Animals cannot choose God, but live by Him and are influenced by humans. Therefore, it is true that the reason humans behave like animals is because they haven't chosen the Creator as their authority, and therefore, when they act contrary to Him, knowingly or unknowingly, there are consequences experienced by creation, self, and others. When a human doesn't choose God as their authority, they end up being worse off than animals because they have no way of knowing what is true and the impact they generate is far worse. As the Bible says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 53, verse 1. 3. Bacteria flagellomotor. The very cell isn't life or the source of life, but it contains life. The cell is a house a vehicle for life to express itself. A cell is like a car, and the driver is the life. Without a clear understanding of the cell, there is no way we can understand its change. The theory of evolution refers to natural selection being the primary mutation force for the development mutation of the cells. However, the cell doesn't operate like this. The bacterium flagellum motor is an integral part within the cell which helps the cell move. The bacterial flagellum motor houses an intelligent agent that enables it to reason, called life. It looks like a speedboat motor, and by looking at it, you will realize that it cannot be built gradually or built based on natural selection, but by a designer. It requires all of its parts simultaneously to function. If one of the around 40 protein parts is missing, it will not work, and the life will not work through it. The theory of evolution, through natural selection, renders each of the 40 protein parts independently useless until they come together. Hence, no motor would have been developed using natural selection. And this is where the theory of natural selection implodes on itself, at the very core of living matter, the cell. If the smallest component doesn't operate according to the principle of natural selection, how can the entire unit operate the same way? It's like taking all the units of a wristwatch. Each unit is designed for a specific purpose. Then, putting them in your pocket, swinging them around in different environments for millions of years, and then it turns into a working grandfather clock. This may sound ridiculous, but this is exactly what the theory of evolution expects people to believe. And many fall for it through the confusion of so-called intellect. The bacteria flagellum motor itself, the way it looks, and how it operates, the life within giving the ability to reason, proves that there is a designer-creator who designed, created, and provided specific DNA coding for it to multiply. 4. DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. DNA is the coding information to build a specific part of the body. The genome is all the DNA in an organism, including its genes. Genes carry information for making all the proteins required by all organisms. These proteins determine, among other things, how the organism looks, how well its body metabolizes food or fights infection, and sometimes even how it behaves. All species have different DNA. Without DNA, no cell replication can take place. It tells the cells what to do. The protein components that make up the structure are made, shaped, and organized by coding called DNA. DNA is found within the nucleus. The protein is created with precision, perfect size, perfect shape, and perfect sequence. Then and only then can it be useful. 
protein, more specifically amino acids, coming together randomly, that is, the theory of chemical evolution, is not possible and was rejected more than 20 years ago by science. They discovered that a protein unit cannot come together without the specific sequencing program called DNA. Who do you think provided this program? It's infinitely easier to take one million coins of the same size, randomly throw them down on a flat surface, hoping they will all land on top of each other in the right sequence than to get the coding right by chance. Let's hypothesize that archaeologists find an airport covered in sand and ice. They estimate it's 1,000 million years old. The planes on the runway are frozen in time. Each plane has a very complex electrical circuitry connecting the engines and the navigation system to the main airport tower. Within this, there is specific coding. They speculate that the airport and planes evolved out of the trees, rocks, and rivers over millions and billions of years. It became so advanced that this airport reproduced itself to other parts of this world. Would you believe this? It seems highly improbable that anyone would believe it. Yet many believe DNA coding happened by chance. DNA can be compared to an advanced computer language. Designers establish a code and write the program to read the code. The operators use the computer which activates the program and code. The operators are the cells which are governed by life. They use the DNA, code, to express life, program, that was intended by the Creator. DNA provides specific genetic instruction to build one protein within the simplest cell. This coding would fill hundreds and thousands of printed texts and programming. The instructions for the forces required in each amino exchange would fill many more pages than the DNA coding and sequencing. It's only logical to assume that this information was coded and built by the Creator, God. 5. Chromosomes Some evolutionists, such as I once was, have argued humans and great apes, gorillas, not chimps, have similar chromosomes, that is, humans with 23 pairs and great apes with 24 pairs. They hypothesize that at one point there could have been a fusion event for the 24 pairs to become 23. Not even in a lab with human intervention can they make this happen and then have a cell survive. And when you add up all the so-called small differences, which aren't small, like chromosomes, DNA, reasoning against creation, you end up with a completely different species, as it was designed. It's like looking at two sets of gears, one for a bicycle and one for a car. They're both made from metal, they both have gears arranged in a circular pattern, and then we hypothesize they are for the same vehicle, or somehow one was changed by an event. However, there are so many differences besides just the gears that when you add them up, it's innumerable. A human is far more complex than any car or bicycle. The impossibility is scientifically astounding, but to add to this impossibility of evolution, not just one ape became a human through cell change, but two apes, and more specifically, making one male and one female human. And to add to this impossibility, they both changed at the same time in order to exist. That is, a human male having sex with a female ape or vice versa can't procreate. Hard science tells you this. Do you know the impossibility of all these things taking place? It's far more realistic that Adam and Eve were created by God and populated the earth than this theory. Even within the coding and sequencing, Females have two of the same gender chromosomes, XX, and males have two distinct gender chromosomes, XY. Males and females are different but compatible, yet not compatible across species. Now, when scientists trace the ancestry, they use the Y, the male chromosome, haplogroup. They say it goes back to two humans, a male and a female. There is no ancestry traced to apes because that's when hard science changes to soft science, assumptions and hypothesis. Isn't it amazing that the Bible has been saying this for thousands of years, that the population came from two people, literally Adam and Eve, and now ancestral tracing confirms this. 6. Population Projections 
Based on the theory of evolution hypothesis, humans have been around for millions of years. And based on the Bible, they've been around for around 6,000 years, since Adam and Eve. Which one is more correct, 6,000 or millions of years? Based on mathematics and history of childbirths, wars, disasters, and famine, 6,000 to 4,500 years is the most probable to get us to the population we have today, around 6.7 billion people on Earth. However, being true to Scripture, around 1,500 years after the start from Adam and Eve, the entire world was flooded by God, and the repopulation started again with Noah's three sons and their wives, around 4,500 years ago. So let's look at a very conservative logical calculation for population, with this starting point, 4,500 years. Let's say 40% of the population is eliminated every 500 years due to famines, wars, and disasters. A very conservative number. Historically, this was less as the disasters were concentrated in certain areas and not always a global impact. The average lifespan of a person was around 45 years old. Also very conservative, historically, it's between 50 and 60 years. Based on the above criteria, what would the population rate be for a couple in order to have 6.7 billion people as today? Around 2.3 children per couple. Very feasible, this is a conservative number, and this was before the 20th century contraception method. If we say it was millions of years, then the population rate per couple is basically flat. Historically, on a macro level, this was not true, as families had many children. Cases of 10 to 15 children weren't uncommon for a wife. Children were a sign of prosperity and blessings in most cultures of the world. Also, many men had more than one wife or concubine who had children, thus increasing the ratio even further. Another fact that goes against the millions of years is, what disaster or war killed so many? That's when you see assumptions come in that can't be substantiated historically and yet assured to be true. Thus, the 2.3 children per couple is a conservative number and lines up with the Bible. Humans are not 200 million years old as evolution believes, but 6,000 years old. 7. No such thing as truly physical. The physical is made up of the non-physical, and it is life that gives meaning, reasoning, expression to the physical. Without life, there is no meaning, no reasoning, no expression. Nothing. Hard science tells us that all matter is made up of variations of energy, and there is nothing actually solid. Matter can be broken down into elements or atoms, for example hydrogen, iron, carbon, etc. The higher the energy holding the elements together, the harder the matter. The element itself can be broken down further into the nucleus and electrons, again held together by even higher energy. The nucleus can be broken down further into protons and neutrons, again held together by more energy. Each can be broken down further again. A proton can be broken down into quarks held together by even more intense energy. A quark itself can be broken down further into pre-ions, again held together by even more intense energy, and so on and so on. Nothing is solid, and all physical is just a variation of energy, some more intense than others. So why do we stop at the physical, or use the physical to explain the physical, as people try to do with the Big Bang Theory, trying to use a rock to explain life? You laugh, but this is the Big Bang Theory. It uses non-life things to explain life. It ignores life altogether. The ability to reason against creation and reason meaning, and the laws that govern life and energy. Both of these need to be actually created and parameters established for it to work together in harmony. So using theories only based on the physical ignores the foundation, the non-physical. And the non-physical points you to energy and the life that gives the energy meaning. And this points to the creator and sustainer and giver of life. God. You don't have to be a genius to figure this out. Sometimes I feel like the boy in the emperor's new clothes, pointing out the obvious. 8. 
What is the meaning of life? Many have said they bank their life on hard facts, science, things that can be proven by science, but this is not true. Everyone bases their life on their own meaning and ethics. There is no science course proving meaning or proving ethics, but yet this is what governs their decisions. So what is the meaning of life? Some say happiness. But what is happiness except an output of meaning, output of purpose? No hard science can prove meaning of life because meaning transcends beyond the borders of matter. Is energy life? No. We know from hard science that energy doesn't reason on its own. It doesn't have intellect. It doesn't have love. Doesn't work by faith. So what gives energy an expression, the ability to act on the reasoning? Life. It is life within the energy that does all of this. Without life, energy would be meaningless, pointless because life gives energy meaning. Life isn't energy, but life is reasoning, the ability to make choices. For humans, it is the ability to reason outside of what we see and the ability to think about meaning. Think about this. We can take most of the body parts out and keep the body functioning by pumping the blood and providing oxygen. Trying to make the environment satisfactory for life, the ability to reason, to stay. But when the life leaves, then the ability to reason has gone. They measure life activity, reasoning activity, through brain waves. The brain doesn't give the life, but it is a vehicle through which the life tells the body how to operate. The body is a house of energy that expresses life. When the energy environment, body, isn't satisfactory, the life, Reasoning, intellect, choices, emotions, character, us, leaves. Life is who we are, and we are not the energy house, the body, but the life in the energy house. So what is life's primary motive? To bear fruit. Everything that has life bears fruit, and there is a primary fruit for all life. A fruit tree gives shade, but its primary motive is to bear fruit. An animal is part of the ecosystem, but its primary motive is to procreate. For humans, it is also to procreate, but our primary motive is to produce love. Love is the foundation of human decisions. If a person doesn't have love, they self-destruct. It is love which is the primary motive, not food, not shelter. Love is the strongest. It is only possible to love when tapped into the one who designed us to love. God. The question that will be asked is, if God wants us to love, why did he create suffering? He doesn't seem like a God of love. Let's talk about you first, and then we'll answer the question concerning God. What gives you the right to bring accusations against the designer? Did you create yourself? Are you self-righteous? What are you doing with your time to alleviate those who are suffering? Or are you just a finger-pointer and not an agent that God wants to use to help those in need? Most people who ask this question do nothing to help those in need, or help just enough to justify themselves. Are you justifying your lack of responsibility by accusing God? This world is not governed by God, but by the people. It is God who has given them dominion and authority over the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 why do you think Jesus told us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because it isn't always being done on earth. God isn't sending people to hell. They are choosing to go by choosing themselves over Him. But in answer to the original question, if God wants us to love, why did He create suffering? Would you know what love and joy is without suffering? Can there be compassion without suffering? Happiness without sadness? Good without evil? Could you really have the correct choices without the consequences to navigate you? Again, proving the law of absolute truth is vital for human survival. How would you navigate what is right without suffering? Being told not to? Come on, if I jump off a building and didn't hurt myself, I would do it again, even if people told me I shouldn't. But if there was pain, well, then that would be another story. I wouldn't. All suffering is a byproduct of our rebellion against God and His creation, and yes, many times the innocent suffer. Like abortions, millions of children are killed because we think we know best, 
No disaster or disease in history has killed more than this, and yet we think we are righteous? Much of the world's suffering comes from the people who believe themselves to be God, and thus make the wrong choices and negate life. Love is the foundation, and God created us to love. To love who? What? 1. To love the Creator, God, above ourself. 2. To love ourself. And 3. To love others like ourself. This is man's all. Why do you think people have a deep satisfaction in helping others? Because this is what they have been designed to do by the Creator. But it's impossible to love self and others if God isn't our first love. Without God being the primary source of our love, we place ourselves above others, that is, going against God's design. This results in our lack of value for life. Our value shifts to ourself, specifically our conveniences and what we decide is right. Success is measured in having money, and lots of it, and many follow those who have money as if they have the answers to life. Accountability to self alone results in acting like the Nazis the abortion clinics, and many other examples of people placing more importance on their convenience, their lifestyle, than life. This rebellion against the Creator and His design results in bad fruit, superficial love. Therefore, only when we love God, then we value life and put the value in its true order, God, self, and others like self. So the true meaning of life is intimacy, communion with the author of love, God. But our rebellion gets in the way, and we can never meet God's standards. So God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to bridge the gap between God and man. This is true peace. His Son showed us the way to love sacrificially and to be the way. And when we accept Him as our owner... It is our choice. We will follow His example and live by Him. Because He lives, we live. His fruit of love is made manifest in and through us. This results in us automatically loving Him, loving self, and loving others, as per the designer's design. It is no coincidence that it was Christians who started hospitals, who started orphanages, who started feeding those starving in Africa who started organizations to help protect and feed children like World Vision, who started the schools for the handicapped, and who consistently outgive non-Christians ten to one, look at the government records, and who will sacrifice themselves to go to hostile areas to teach God's love through missions, many giving up their lives sacrificially to help those who kill them, even today. What about the Crusades? Not everyone who says they follow Christ does. If you want to see a true Christian, look at Jesus Christ and what He taught. There is and was no one on earth who has made a bigger impact in the area of love than Jesus Christ. People follow heroes, but who can compare to the greatest hero, Jesus Christ? And He professed to be the Son of God and the only way to God. The question is, do you believe Him or not? And a bigger question, do you want to know? Or is it a question of your intellect and achievements versus His? The evidence speaks if you truly seek to know. His Word is truth, which is contained in the Bible. The Bible comprises of books which are inspired by God. He tells us how to love and be loved to others. You may not believe the Bible. Perhaps you believe it is written by man. But irrespective, you can't ignore that there is no other book that comes close to the area of love, justice, mercy, truth, accuracy, impact, power, than the Bible. And when countries or people implement His Word, good things happen. Do you think it is a coincidence that less than 5% of the world's population controls the rest? Or that the biblical prophecies concerning the rise and fall of Israel are a coincidence? Or that only seven evil empires would govern God's people through history, just one left. Or that the signs of the Messiah are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Coincidence? But due to time, I will provide these hard facts and many others on a website, www.nakedlife.org, under Bible Uniqueness. C. The Designer and Creator 
God. Some who don't really want to know if there is a Creator make statements like, I can't see Him, therefore He is not there. Or, how can you believe if you cannot see God? Isn't this in your mind? That's logical. It's like saying, I don't see electricity, therefore it doesn't exist. It's in my mind. Or, I don't see the wind, therefore it doesn't exist. It's in my mind. Or, I don't see gravity, therefore it doesn't exist. It's in my mind. Or what about something that's personal? I don't see love or reasoning or your brain, therefore it doesn't exist. The very air we breathe, the food we eat, the ground we are standing on, the body we are in, was given to us by the Creator. Are we like unthankful fish in a tank that don't know that someone put them there and keeps feeding them? Scientifically, the physical world was designed and put together by the non-physical, as already explained. The intricate details, the intent, and the laws that ensure everything operates in harmony are the clear fingerprints of the designer, creator. He is more real scientifically and logically than you reading this. You didn't create yourself, the laws that govern your body, the choice to reason. Even the very thing that you use or create is developed from the raw material and the laws he created. Do you give him thanks or yourself? Who is the one who is prideful? Who is honored? The house, the body, or the one living in the house, self, or the creator and builder, God, of the house and everything around it? You need to be against God to miss the details of life. You might as well say that the stars are disappearing. If they are disappearing, is it not modern pollution that stops us from seeing them? Is this not the price we pay in our great cities? Lots of pollution, lots of lamps, but no stars. Doesn't mean they are not there. Similarly, the world is self-focused and is opposed to God, except itself being God with quotes like believe-in-yourself concepts. Are not most of our television programs, educational system, our radio stations and books biased away from God and toward self, putting obstacles in our way to prevent us from seeing God? You think you're a genius for not believing in God? You are no genius, but a product of your environment. How can you be open-minded, a free thinker, when your eyes are covered by the obvious? It is more acceptable to the world and less confrontational to deny God than accept Him. In this world, those who surrender to God are wise and courageous. Those who reject Him are fools and cowards. He exists whether we choose Him or not. He is watching what we do with the free will He gave us. Do we grope for Him or self? Have I ruffled your feathers? I meant to provoke you to think twice, to think logically and not what someone tells you. Have you really thought about life or taken on what others have said about life without challenging those ideas and made them your own? Have you professed that they are your own ideas or acknowledged that they are someone else's? From very young, we believe in a creator, some designer, God, but over time, due to false education, false motives, self-focus, we are brainwashed not to believe in him. So if anything, we are more programmed not to believe he is than to believe. Most people only break through the calamity of doubt and sin when a hopeless situation hits them and they grope for God through prayer. Why? Is it because deep down they know He is there and know He is their final hope? Why didn't they seek Him earlier? I must confess, I was like this for nearly 24 years of my life. Don't laugh at me. God has probably been trying to reach you for years too, and unless you repent, you will perish in yourself. I hear some say, Why doesn't God just show Himself physically? Then I will believe. There are two ways of answering this. One. He has, through his son over two thousand years ago, and raised him from the dead, but you don't believe it because you probably don't believe the Bible or look at history. If I had the time, I would cross-reference the Bible with archaeology, science, geology, history, and the many non-biblical sources that talk about the man Jesus and the impact he had on many. Whatever you believe, you need to wrestle with who is Jesus. There is no one in history who was more influential than him. Even when most people write down the date, they are referencing Jesus' birth, for example, 2000 A.D. 
So who is Jesus to you? His main message was either a lie, crazy, or who he said he was. He didn't leave the option open for being just a good guy or a good prophet. His main message was that he is the Son of God and that he alone is the only way to God the Father. Not only for those people in his day on earth, but for all ages. And if they don't believe in him, they will continue to die in their sins. So who is Jesus to you? A liar? Lunatic? Or who he said he was? I hear some say, why didn't he come earlier, just after Adam and Eve? Would the answer truly make any difference in your decision? However, one of the many reasons he came when he did was to help people to believe him. He fulfilled prophecies concerning himself that were written 400 to a thousand and more years earlier, one of the many ways he proved who he was. He also came proclaiming the kingdom of God during the second evil empire to show the contrast between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Or what about those who don't know about Jesus? God continues to show himself through his creation, through reasoning, by their conscience, by love, and through faith which all live by. They still need to grope for him, call out for him, and God will be more tolerant towards them on Judgment Day than those who have heard about Jesus as the way of life and rejected him. 2. Why doesn't God show himself continually so we can see him physically when we want to? Now, honestly speaking, if you saw God continually, would you follow him? Honestly? Don't say yes hastily. Adam and Eve walked with God and chose to disobey. Adam's motivation for eating the forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was wanting to be like God, a God unto himself. Be governed by his own rules and not God's rules? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For we have all sinned and fallen short before the presence of God. It is in our genes through Adam and self. That's why we need His help, and He provided it by sending us His Son. His Son paid for the sins of those who come to Him, and they will only come to Him when they humble themselves. God is in the process of selecting those who are worthy to be with Him, based on their choice in choosing Him. It is not based on their choice of what they call being good. They are not good, for all have sinned, all have lied, all have stolen, all have rebelled against God. Yet they call themselves good because they haven't murdered anyone. It is about acknowledging our fallen nature by choosing His Son. Can you imagine spending eternity with people who will grow to despise you and you can do nothing about it? What would be better, to get rid of them up front or let them infect the people who love you like bad apples? How would you select the right people through the centuries? Is there any better test than to give them the ability to reason you without seeing you? The ability to reason life and love. The ability to listen to you, conscience. And if they reason and listen to you without seeing you physically, when the entire world is pushing them away from you, how much more will they want to be with you when they see you? Similarly, if we love God now, how much more will we when we physically see Him? Is there any better test for eternal loyalty than to give the freedom of choice to choose Him and then watch what people do with that choice, use it or abuse it? Will they embrace His authority over them or reject Him? Their words and deeds speak. In this world, not everyone is His children. Only those who love Him and surrender their will to His Son Jesus Christ are his children. John chapter 1 verse 12. In closing, for those who remain blind to the evidence provided, I challenge you before God to answer these eight questions for yourself. Can you stand? 1. What is your source and why do you trust it? Has your source ever been wrong? 2. How do you govern and differentiate what is good and evil, or right and wrong? Trace it back to the source, the Bible, or? 3. If everyone lived like you, what would happen? 4. What is the meaning of life, and on what is that based? 5. Do you have inner peace or a void? 6. What are the chances that there is no creator who put life together, 0 to 100%? If anything less than 100%, then why the doubt? Is it that you believe there is a creator?
7. What more would God need to do in order to show you that Jesus is the one you need to surrender your life to in order to save you? 8. When you die one day and stand before God, what would you say to Him? When He asks you why you have rejected His Son? A. Would you blame Him for not showing Himself physically? B. Blame Him for not making it clearer by spelling it out in a book? C. Challenge him for his unfairness because you are more righteous and you know better. Or, thanks for the challenge and allowing me to share against the grain of the popular education system.